Creative Recovery is a community of artists, healers, activists, entrepreneurs, and anyone seeking to nourish a creative relationship to life. In this podcast, we explore creativity as an agent of healing and social change. I'm your host, Brenna, a writer, editor, and coach. Join me as I step into conversation with people of diverse backgrounds and identities committed to creative living. Are you feeling stuck, unfulfilled, or uninspired? Creative Recovery offers tools and practices to help you cultivate your authentic voice and support your mind, body, and spirit in service of creative aspirations. Whether you want to write a book, start a business, or cultivate more curiosity and compassion, the process of creative recovery will help anyone tap into their inner resources and live a life of presence and joy. Welcome to Creative Recovery Podcast. I'm your host, Brenna, and I'm so excited today to welcome my guest, Unit Carullo. She's a musician, an artist, and an educator, and a very dear friend of mine. Welcome, Unit. Hey, thank you for having me. <laughs> so how about if we start with having you just tell us about yourself and your creative pursuits? Okay, well, seeing myself first and foremost as an artist, and basically everything I've ever done ties in some way to being creative. And my role in education has been me trying to squeeze creativity into perhaps an otherwise non-receptive audience for creative things. So I guess my creative identity has been this sort of lifelong, you know, trying on of different art forms. What does it mean to you to be an artist? Like, what does that mean for you? I think what it means to me is that I am always seeking a new way of looking at things. Mm -hmm. And also very much looking for beauty. And so for me, so much of the the things that I try to make in whatever format is about bringing more beauty into my life and hopefully the lives of others. And what does that bring to your life? Like, what does creativity bring to your life? And your perspective? Maybe it, it depends. I think it brings a freshness You know, I think especially over the course of the last couple of years in the pandemic and being isolated and away from so many of our rituals and routines and looking for freshness in my life. And I think that's probably what I try to do when I'm creating, although creating in a pandemic has been a whole other experience for I'm sure lots of creative people. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm curious to come back to that, but I'm I love that. It sounds to me like creativity for you is creative living. It's like it is a perspective. It's a way of living. Yeah, that's exactly right. And it's interesting because depending on what circle I'm in, it's there's more ease around that. Mm-hmm. So, being with artists, being with anyone in the arts, it's a natural thing, whereas in my education circles, I found it harder to express, you know? And so, for example, you know, I was a Montessori teacher for many years, teacher of children, and now I do teacher training for Montessori adult educators. And one of the things I remember really vividly that just popped in my mind when you said that is a big part of the philosophy is designing an environment for Mm -hmm. children and I'm really fearless when it comes to moving furniture around trying something new doing something outside the box innovating materials for children and I think that has everything to do with my artist's identity and in certainly in my experience that is not the norm for people in in education it's like it feels risky. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I want you to talk. I'm curious to hear more about the transition from like your 
you're still a musician and you're still an artist, but for doing that full time to shifting into education and Montessori. And I do think it's really interesting how the kind of art world does get separated out from the professional world of education or administration or academics. And there, I, and so any way that you can talk about how they're really beautifully wedded together and Mm -hmm. should be really wedded Mm -hmm. together would be great. Yeah. And And how you were able to do that. I don't know that I've achieved that. I think that's been something that I've struggled with a lot. And in a way, it feels like I have moments where it I have that sort of synergy, but it really does feel like they've been two parallel paths that I've been on. And really, though I was doing education, it was the birth of my son that really caused me to diverge from the path I was on, which was full-time professional musician. I was touring and recording with a band. And, you know, before I had him, and then I would piece together an income. You know, I was able to live off of art and music. So, you know, we were touring, we were making a little bit of money. My rent was really inexpensive. I was a single person. And then I could do some, I was doing some textile, kind of visual art stuff at the time and able to sell that. And when he was born, I did try touring with him for a couple of years. And it was really hard to do that. It's not impossible. If you have the right supports, it wasn't an option for me to continue to do that. And so when he was about two, I took that way on the back burner and started focusing on education. And so I thought, all right, okay, I'm a single parent. What do I need to do to provide for us? And I went back to school, I went back to graduate school and got my teaching credential for Montessori and masters and really dove into that as really as a way to stabilize us, he and I. And this is such a transition point now because he is turning 18 this month. (laughs) And so everything's changing. And I can focus more on creative things and I am focusing more on creative things. And so it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds. But to your question, I don't know how to make them be together. I've tried. I don't know how to do that. Yeah. The way that I like to create doesn't really mesh with the way that I am a professional in an education setting. Yeah, I it's I feel like your story is really common actually. Like there's a lot of, you know, a lot of artists do have to piece together an income because they I mean you it sounds like you actually were making an income, but it was an income that could that you that could support just you. Right. And so I think that, yeah, if artists have families or even just supporting themselves these days yeah, with yeah, that, it's it so expensive yeah. that they have to have some other, you know, often, at least initially, some other kind of income. And it's like the two sides of self get compartmentalized in a weird way. And I, I get it because I, I feel very similar. I have, I do, you know, writing and collage art and, you know, was a dancer and photographer and did a lot of art. But it never really intersected fully with how I Mm. earn my living. And so there's always cobbling it together with having some of the things that I do creatively earn money, but a lot of it is, you know, not that that doesn't earn money. And so, Mm. yeah. And I'm curious, like, did, do you feel like, like, how does that affect your sense of self or like your personality or even like your, Your authenticity, because actually the next, I'd love to hear more about sort of how you define authentic expression and are, do you feel like you're able to be authentic, like on your job, Mm. if you're leaving behind that whole part of yourself or are there ways that you're weaving? I mean, it sounds like there are ways that you're weaving that creativity Mm -hmm. in, but it's different. So I'm just curious if you could talk about that. Yeah, it is different. And I think, honestly, the moments that feel most authentic and most kind of nourishing are very relational. So they're very much around teaching. You know, I work with adult educators in primarily the New York City area. We also work with adults in Shanghai. 
And so the contact, the time that I have in contact with people talking about education, talking about you know, philosophy and children, those are the times that feel really nourishing to me. And I guess you could say I do approach it in a creative way because I'm very intentional about creating spaces where people can feel safe to share, safe to be their individual authentic selves. You know, one of the things that I feel is so important in education is that community where people feel that they belong. And especially in a learning environment, whether you're a child or whether you're an adult, in order to fully thrive and to fully be able to absorb new ideas and stretch and grow as a person, you have to feel safe. And so I do spend a lot of time thinking about how to create an environment for people to do that. The last two years, it's been a virtual space. And yet there is, you know, there's a lot of thought that goes into how to navigate that. Well, actually, I think the pandemic has been a for a lot of people, there's there they've had to pivot so much that it has been this kind of moment of a lot of creativity for people because yeah. they have to reinvent the wheel, you know, whether it's moving to Zoom or like you know packaging their material and for an online audience versus in person. It doesn't surprise me though what you said about the relational kind of like you feel authentic in your work as an educator in the kind of like it's relational in your interactions with people it doesn't surprise me because as a musician I feel like that's what a musician is like a commute a musician communicates like communicates to people that's a huge I mean music is a vehicle for communication and human connection I think I'm curious how it feels when you're communicating that way with people versus in a teaching environment well, when I think about the things that I do that are in the arts, and so I'm a songwriter, and so that is a pretty internal pursuit. You know, it's something that I do when I'm alone. You know, I have collaborated with people. I have done songwriting collaborations with people, but that has been like a back and forth thing. So somebody sends me a file with music on it, and then I might add a verse to it. It's still done alone and the other big kind of expression I think has been for me painting and that was very much a response to stopping touring because I needed a, an, I needed an outlet that was just about beauty yeah you know not me trying to make a really nice PowerPoint <laughs> like just something that was beauty for beauty's sake yeah and because I wasn't able to do music as much because I had a you know a child that was I was prioritizing. I started painting and and actually now that I think about it there is a connection with education because I did a master's and the name of it was master's in educational leadership in the arts and I did that at Bank Street College in New York and there was a program which is since no more but this particular program was a collaboration with the new school in New York and so I took some art classes as part of that degree oh, cool. and I took a painting class and it was just what they it was just the one that you took. You didn't have a choice. That's just the one I took. And I'd never taken any kind of painting class before. And I loved it. I loved the freedom of it and sort of the limitlessness of it. And I just kept doing it. You know, but weirdly, it was education that led me to to that expression. That's so cool. And I love what you said about just beauty for beauty's sake. And I, I feel like... I feel like a lot of times that gets lost in like the professional world. And I'm putting little quote marks around that word professional, but like it, it gets, it, it's not priority and efficiency is priority and play isn't necessarily priority. Mm-hmm. Productivity is priority. And one thing that I think that I hear from a lot of people who I talk to, just different creatives, is how creativity and like just doing something without a purpose necessarily, mm-hmm. just because you delight in it. Yeah. Like it's, it brings back 
this thing that I think has been lost a lot in the kind of, you know, capitalist work nine to five system. Like there's not a lot of room for play and there's not a lot of room to just delight in things. I mean, that's a huge generalization because it depends on where you work and who you work with and what you do. But I feel like that's something that I hear a lot of creatives say is so fulfilling Mm -hmm. about engaging in creative expression, whether it's painting or music is just like, doing something that you that brings delight that's mm-hmm. just for yeah. beauty for yeah that makes I'm curious if that total resonates. sense oh absolutely it makes total sense to me because I think of play as this very unguarded state so you don't have your defenses up you know when I think about children playing it is a very open and relaxed state of being and curious yes curiosity yeah, yeah. so that's the natural state mm-hmm. of play Whereas, you know, the other things you were describing does introduce defenses and having your guard up. And I don't think that, I think in order to be creative, there does need to be a sort of state of relaxed, open curiosity. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. I feel like curiosity is the key. It's kind of the foundational state and openness. Mm -hmm. How do you cultivate that in yourself? It depends, I think. And really, now that you've asked that question, I think it has to do with kind of where my ego is at Mm -hmm. in the mix. Because if I have an attachment to the outcome, I've noticed that it is it doesn't feel nourishing for me to try to create, which is why I think I've a little bit been, my songwriting has changed a lot. And I am looking for kind of an entry point back into a place of ease in songwriting. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that when I was making music all the time, and there wasn't a, just a consistent outlet. You know, I was touring, I was performing, recording, collaborating. And it's like with anything, you have a room full of musicians, you know, tuning up their instruments. And in a few minutes, you're going to be playing something, you're going to be creating something new. And that isn't a part of my life right now. And so for me to sit down with my guitar and try to write, it does feel like a trying to, as opposed to you're just in it. You're just, it's just the water you're swimming in, you know? So I think that I really miss that. I miss that a lot, just having, and honestly too, I think a lot of it does come down to context and environment, really. And for me personally, I'm in a massive transition right now. You know, not just because my son is moving out, but I am in between homes. You know, I am in the process of building a home, a tiny house, and it's going to be a long time (laughs) coming. And what I know is true about myself is I very am very much oriented toward a prepared environment. So if I have my art studio set up and I have my paints and I have my brushes, you know, then I am much more likely to come into that space and sit down and create. And so being in a rental and moving from rental to rental, which is what I've been doing, and being really in other people's homes, all of my stuff is in storage right now. Yeah. And so it makes, it it is stifling to creativity. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I couldn't, I'm very similar. I I need a space. Like, even if it's just writing, which you don't really need a space. I mean, you can write in a notebook in a car, but just... The feeling, the energy of a space, yeah. of a container, yeah. you know, that, that is, is there to induce for me that feeling of wonder and curiosity. Mm. What would be your ideal kind of container for... I love that question. I daydream about this. <laughs> My ideal container would be a little dedicated space, you know, out in the woods lots of light coming in where I could not only have big pieces of art in process and I could walk away and come back and not have to put everything away. Nobody else is going to come. It's just for me. 
and then also have a little corner of it that could be a little studio. So I could be sitting with my guitar, singing, recording, just that, that would be so perfect. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's almost like I went to Montessori preschool and yeah. that's the Montessori. Yeah. And I don't know much about the philosophy yeah. of Montessori. You're the expert <laughs> in that. But I feel from what I remember is it, I just was in a room with all these different stations. Mm. There were just different, mm-hmm. everything was laid out yeah. and there were different stations to mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. just do whatever in. Yeah. yeah. And so it was just this big open field. Is it is that typical in a Montessori preschool or Yes, especially in the piece of the environment is prepared for children to come and engage with the materials and really kind of meet their individual needs and have space to focus, have space to concentrate. And that's everything that you're trying to do when you create a learning environment for children. And I, as much as I say there are two parallel paths, I can see how they are, they're woven together. They're so they're woven so together. Woven. I'm like, everything you're saying is, well, because it's you. Yeah. I mean, you're the same person <laughs> yeah. with these two yeah. pursuits, yeah. you know, essentially, yeah. that our world has created a totally artificial yeah. division yeah. for those, yeah, you know. right. This is very reassuring. I think you're right. <laughs> well, it's, you know, I think when you, and actually would love to hear more about the whole ego thing, because I think that, you know, we need our egos yeah. because we need, our society is contextual and relational and without an identity that we present yeah. to the public. I mean, we just can't function in society. And so we need those. And I think we're, where things really go haywire is where you get kind of stuck in one version of an identity or you get pegged into one Mm -hmm. version and everything just gets super compartmentalized like you can't be you know you Mm -hmm. have to and a lot of it is just like like the office culture I mean you have to leave behind even just the dress work codes and stuff. I mean, you have to leave behind your emotions. Mm. You have to leave behind your creative expression, like with, you know, not being able to wear certain things Mm. that you might feel called to wear. Now, I think some environments are more restrictive than others. It it really varies a lot. But, but I think with the emotional piece, like that I think is very real in the kind of office culture. Like you have to leave your personal life and your emotions mm. behind. Mm. And it's like, how can you leave your emotions behind mm. and your emotional self and your personal life? That's who you are. That's Well, it's kind of interesting because, you know, if we did have more, if there was more of a norm of being able to bring in all of the ways that you identify socially into your professional settings, to me, That strikes me as such an opportunity to enrich the work that we're doing. But when people feel that I can't bring, you know, my queerness, I can't bring my brownness, my blackness, I can't bring my, you know, religion into it. And thinking about how stifling that is for what we can create as a culture. Absolutely. That's, that was really well stated. Yeah, and I do you think things are changing? You know, I think I am an idealist and I think that they are changing. I think the change is too slow. And I think that I think the change is too slow for the damage that is being done to people. Why yeah. lives being lost? And, you know, well-being being threatened and, you know, the stakes are really high. Yeah. And I think more people are aware that the stakes are so high in part because of social media, mm-hmm. podcasts, mm-hmm. you know, public conversation, public, private conversations that are able to be public. Yeah. I think that is, is helpful at the same time. I struggle to watch my son who is 18 and all young people as so linked to their phones as they are, you know, it's almost a funny joke talking to young people and explaining the feeling of sitting on the landline 
and you know wrapping the cord around your finger while you talk to your friend for two hours and the rest of your family wants you to get off the phone because everybody shares one yeah you know they just have such a different experience mm-hmm. and I know that in our lifetime if we have a long life we'll see that change so much too yeah and they will you know exponentially see things change and I just wish for them that they will kind of take this momentum that you know the pandemic I think I have observed there being a real rise in conversations and trying to learn and seeing, like looking at other people's experiences instead of looking away. And I hope that maybe it will give young people a little bit of momentum. Yeah, I think there's definitely been like a... Uh, a veil lifted from vulnerability. There's more transparency, I think, allowed in terms of like your vulnerable emotional self and your however you present yourself, you know, in the office or at work. I think because of the pandemic, it's like people are getting sick, people mm-hmm. are working from home, their dogs and kids and <laughs> cats and birds are like flying through the house, you know, so it's like. <laughs> Well, here you go, you know, here's my life. And so I feel like there is this opportunity for Mm. these worlds to merge or even like, you know, maybe you're zooming, of course, Mm. now there's backgrounds, but like you're zooming and it's like your guitar and everything is just there. And so, but you know, I don't know how Mm. long that's going to remain, but I do think we're at this moment where there could be real change in that way where people's selves don't have to be so compartmentalized Mm. but I'm also an idealist so (laughs) we think it's going to be great yeah (laughs) yeah that's an interesting way of looking at it that there is you know these windows we have into other people's homes and that that there's a continuum about that and sometimes we see how hard it is for some kids yeah and that may be something that teachers you know from my perspective my support role, my, my role has been a support role to teachers who are teaching children. I haven't been in a school. I've done almost all of my work remotely, and that means I virtually zoom in to do my observations and my field visits and give feedback and teach and all of the things. And, you know, hearing what it is like for teachers to be looking in on the lives of children who are struggling, who don't have safety is, you know, that that is perhaps to your point, it's a transparency Mm -hmm. and it is an eyes opening. You know, if for whatever reason in your circles you didn't see, then you do see. Yeah, I think there was something that I heard recently on a podcast I can't remember which one it was but it was they were just talking about healing and how healing can't occur and the first step toward healing is consciousness like just being aware of issues just awareness and so you know as you said just being able to see you know Mm -hmm. it's like you can't start to heal situations and inequities until you see Mm -hmm. them and are aware of them and you know I I don't know if, I do feel like the pandemic has opened up some space for that and also closed off some space. So it's kind of varies, but what is your, like, what do you, how would you define healing or what's, what does healing mean to you and how have your creative pursuits helped you kind of grow and heal in your life or now even now you know how do they help you I think healing has almost everything to do with again sort of internal work and then you bring that work into your relationships and so for me I guess it's a question of you know I I take more now in this time of my life than ever. I'm 45. And I think now I take what feels like full responsibility for myself, for my moods, 
for my lens, my perspective, my state of mind. And I've observed myself for long enough to know that when I am feeling depleted and when I'm feeling negative and tired, the whole world looks uninhabitable, you know, regardless of what is going on. I have a lot of privilege. I have had safety over the course of the last two years. I did get, what's the, not expel, what's it called when somebody makes you leave your house? (laughs) Yeah. But it does feel, it's the same feeling as being expelled. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that was not good. And that was, you know, two musicians living in a place where music was really not welcome, my, my son and I. But so that wasn't, didn't feel like safety. But I think that I really have so much privilege. I have had a steady income. You know, but in terms of healing, where what were you know for me, it's what do I need to do to be able to leave my house and intersect with people in a way that does not do harm? I guess that's the way I think mm-hmm. of it. You know, whether I'm walking on a trail in the woods or whether I'm going to the grocery store or whether I'm teaching a class or whether I'm with my wonderful COVID pod has been my lifeline over the past couple of years. What do I need to do to prepare myself to be doing no harm, to in fact be uplifting others and to bring some joy to others? And that feels like a really internal thing. And I think people have different entry points. For me, I know my checklist. You know, I know I have to get out in nature and take a walk. I know I have to do yoga. I know I have, you know, meditation is really important for me if I'm feeling like I'm, you know, destabilized. I love that. I think what you're saying is spot on about healing, at least the way I see it too, is like a lot of healing. It's this internal work and the fruit of it is in the relations, is in the way you show up. It's like the sometimes the healing is really messy and ugly and you know shadow (laughs) and the fruit of it is this this different way of being Mm. doesn't do harm that's loving and respectful and uplifting and present and and so I really like that and I'm curious how your creative pursuits whether it's creating environment for kids to learn in or, you know, writing songs. Like, how does that help that process? I, in a way, it's almost like, I've never thought about this question before. And what I'm thinking about is that it's almost connected to different parts because for me, singing and songwriting is almost a direct line to my heart but just like direct whereas with other stuff it's more of a meandering path or something but there are times when I will write a song and for me songwriting is very much about healing I think that I have gone to my guitar and picked it up when I have reached like a saturation point of feeling whether it's grief or if it's joy Less so with joy in my past. I think I've tended to write more sad songs. Yeah. (laughs) Not that I don't feel joy, because I certainly do. But in terms of going to my guitar and picking it up, that was kind of when I did. And, you know, people talk about, I've heard artists talk about, well, I'm happy I have nothing to write about, you know? And I think I experience a range of emotions. You know, I think I tend to be a pretty content person but I think I feel highs and lows. I think I feel things really deeply, like probably most creative people. There's a real range there. And so for me, there's a lot of healing around being able to pick up the guitar and to write a song. And I have found that with some songs, and really maybe the songs I end up kind of loving the most, it's so painful to sing them for a while. There have been some songs that I've written, I could not sing the whole thing without crying yeah you know and and that's when you know they're good (laughs) yeah I think so and because I want to be in service to others with anything I make or create I would kind of get mad at myself it's like 
stop that. <laughs> stop making it about you. You know, you're supposed to be offering something to people. And I really do tell myself that when I feel my little lips start to quiver, you know, this isn't about you. This is for them. This is for the person listening. This is to offer some healing to them. You wrote the song. Now let go. I had a professor, I feel like I shared this in my last episode, with, <laughs> but I say it all the time. I had a professor, writing professor once tell me, because I write creative nonfiction personal writing, and I often have that same, you know, a little bit of like shame in a way about like being so introspective mm. about my processing my stuff or, you know, but... I had a professor once tell me that your suffering is a gateway into somebody else's. Mm. And I really do think, I mean, I know for myself, I process a lot of my stuff through other people's stories. And mm. by reading other, you know, memoirs on grief or whatever, that helps me process my own. Because I don't always know what's going on. I just know I feel like crap. And yeah. then I start reading something and I'm and I just yeah. am like, wow, this person is processing it for me. And I think that I'm sure, I know, because I've experienced your music, that it has that effect. Mm -hmm. It has that effect. Even, like, the words, yes, and the melody. Mm -hmm. It's like, that conveys something, you know, totally wordless. I think even better, even more effectively than words. Like, music is so evocative. Yeah. Thank um, you. Thank you. And I would love, I'm curious, like, this idea of the service that you know your aspiration to really have your work be of service tell me more about that i think what we were starting to talk about a little bit earlier is that to go out into the world and certainly do no further harm because there's a lot happening there's a lot of suffering and yeah. you know if i can contribute some small thing whether it is in you know some soothing song or something that allows someone to listen and feel like they are not alone, that they've had the same experience of love or of loss. Or if it's about, in my teaching settings, if it's about creating a space where people can have their own aha moments. To me, that's really important. And that's that I feel like that's when I get paid, you know, mm -hmm. when people have an aha moment about being with children, about the significance and really the heavy responsibility that people who teach very young children have mm. to know themselves, to know what you are bringing into an environment where smallest human beings are not verbal yet. Everything is about feeling. Everything is about tone of voice your facial expression, your body language. And so you better walk in there and know exactly what you're bringing, mm. you know, because the amount of development that's happening about the identities, that's what you're doing. At that stage of life, you're figuring out who you are relative to everybody else around you. And that is going to stay with you your entire life. And so there's a heavy responsibility for people who want to be with them all yeah. day five days a week yeah you know to do no harm to nourish them and to offer some sort of healing so i think that is very much a thread in any work that i do that i want to be you know i guess to bring some relief or comfort to people well and it sounds too like it has the reverse effect on you like because you have to be so vigilant of what you're bringing to the space with kids mm -hmm. or even role modeling yeah. for other teachers, what yeah. they would be like for kids or whatever. Does, do you feel like that kind of, it's like you're putting on this hat that then transforms you into mm -hmm. that. Like you step into your higher self because you're trying to be yeah. that for others. Yeah, that... I think so. I think it's more of a mirror, you know, and I think that that's true for, certainly true for me and the work that I do professionally, but parents know too, when you're around children, they are constantly giving you feedback about what you're putting out. And if you are paying attention to yourself, you know, you can pick up a lot. There's a lot of opportunity. Like I, somebody 
one of the teachers I like talks about it as your life is your curriculum. You know, so anything that happens in my day-to-day life, I think of it, okay, this is my opportunity, this is my curriculum, this was designed for me, and so I have to engage with it, with curiosity, with an open mind, you know, and with a relaxed state, and figure out what I need to learn from it. I'm going to quote you on (laughs) it, like, I'm writing this down in my journal, like, you're, say it again? I don't know what you said. (laughs) You said your life is your curriculum. Yeah, and I, I got that from the. So there's a podcast, another podcast that I like to listen to, and it is called "Just What You Needed to Hear." And it was a couple of local teachers. They teach yoga, and you know, my friend Danielle, she's full of those wisdom nuggets. Mm. But that's one that I think about. You know, I think about that a lot, especially. Yeah. And again, it's like you said before. You know, it's an internal work that we do that is healing, that is the healing that we need to do in order to come into contact with others in order to be better and to be more in order to heal. But in a way, it's this sort of, I don't know if you call it a loop or whatever, but you go out, maybe you have something, you have something that is difficult or challenging. And this can happen in your home with your family, you know, your partner, your kids, whoever it is. And having to retreat and think oh man that did not go well I think I maybe blew it (laughs) and you know what could I have done differently what's that what's really behind my getting irritated in that moment you know certainly I've been thinking a lot about that recently because my kid is 18 and he's full-sized human being (laughs) And super sized. Yeah. He's taller than me. I'm not very big, you know, and he takes up a lot of space and he's got a really great big personality and he's an awesome person. And he has given me lots of opportunities to consider myself and the way that I show up with him and realizing that, you know, as his mom, it's been it's a big shift to relate to somebody who's grown. You know, he's not little anymore. He's not my baby anymore. He's a young adult. He's grown-ish. And so I, our relationship has to change. And, you know, there's a lot of that sense of creating there, too. You know, my relationships feel like expressions of creating. You know, how am I you know, nurturing this person in my life in a way that is doing no harm that is enriching for me and for them I love yeah what you just said was kind of along the lines of what I was thinking which is just this I love the idea of life being your curriculum and challenge being opportunity for growth and for learning and mistakes being opportunities for growth and for learning and adopting that perspective I think it's a very resilient way to live and it's also a very creative way to live I feel like I feel like creative living is really this dance with these moments in your life that are challenging yeah. You know, it's a dance with it. It's like, let me write a song. Let me try to figure out or process this difficult thing. Or let me like step back a second and reflect on how I'm, you know, what this irritation is. It's like... And repair. I think that's a big part of it, certainly for me, is that cycle where if I do have this opportunity in my life to sort of reflect on my own behavior, what what is the repair that I'm doing? And I do go back to that person and say, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, I could have handled that more, more gracefully and here's what I wish I would have said and here's what I mean, you know? And I think the big thing that I am telling myself a lot in my mind is pay attention to what you want. And I just repeat that to myself all the time yeah. because I am in such a transition and I am creating the next chapter of my life. I'm and building, you know, converting a tiny house on wheels and building and all of the things and you know I can diverge in my mind to get stressed about maybe something at work or I could be stressed about you know maybe I don't have my home set up the way I want it because it's just a 
transient rental, you know, and I keep saying, pay attention to what you want. Pay attention to what you want. Stop wasting time on the things that don't fit into that. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to do. Yeah, well, I mean, just having seen you through <laughs> the past year and a half of transition, pretty much when I met you, you were transitioning, I mean, shortly after. Yeah. It's honestly been an extremely inspiring and beautiful life to witness because of the dance that you have with the challenge. I see it every week when I see you. <laughs> I see that dance and and the beauty that's come out of this, your relationship, your the land you bought, mm-hmm. the home you're creating, the bus, <laughs> you know, tra- you know, turning that into a tiny home, the adventure of, you know, leaving for the winter and going, you know, driving your son to California, mm-hmm. but having a journey. I mean, it's like, and you were evicted. And, I mean, you know, it's like there's, and it's a pandemic and your son's leaving, you know, and I mean, there's just, there's a lot. And so I feel like, I just feel like you are the epitome of a creative, a a, a being committed to creative living. Mm -hmm. It's just very beautiful and inspirational to witness. Well, I'm so grateful to you, Brenna, because I can say the same thing in terms of being able to be by your side during the past year and a half and you coming into my life at this time where there is such a massive kind of cultural retreat and you have been part of my inner world and I'm, I couldn't have picked a better person <laughs> to share this with and I love that you're in my life now. I love that I get to be part of your one of your creative expressions and the questions and you know, really are so, they just kind of lit lit me up. It was so, so, it was such a gift. It feels like such a gift to be able to sit and have this conversation with you. And I was telling this earlier, but I'll say it again now. It's, I can say that you are such an amazing question asker, even just in a casual setting around the table. I love when you come in with your question because it's like, oh man, she's a professional question (laughs) asker. She's so good at this. So I love being able to be in conversation with you all the time. Mm. I'm very lucky. Well, I'm so honored to (laughs) receive your wisdom and also the vulnerability that you share.
Thanks for tuning in to Creative Recovery. If you'd like to learn more about the podcast or my coaching and workshop offerings, please visit brennacoaching.com or DM me on Instagram at brenna.ef. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating and review. It helps grow this community and serve more people. Thanks for joining me on this creative journey of discovery and transformation.